Morning. It's good to be back with you again as we continue together in our time in Romans chapter 8. We're going to finish out Romans 8, and then we'll get back to Acts. We'll probably get back to Acts middle of next week, but I just wanted to kind of um, resume our time together uh, looking at Romans 8. I just love this chapter. It's just one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, and I just wanted to kind of walk through this wonderful chapter uh, together with you. So today we're going to pick up in Romans 8. We're looking at verses 18 through 25. That's Romans 8, 18 through 25. Um, and just for those that are new uh, to Rooted, um, I, I read from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. So, But you sort of read from any version that you like. Uh, but I, I do read from the NRSV. Um, so it says this here. And this is this verse. This passage here is going to sound very confusing. Remember I said earlier, or two days ago, that Paul wrote Romans as a theological introduction, so it's very deep. This passage here is one of the deepest passages in all the Bible to me, and it explains so much of the world to me. So very, one of the reasons why I love Romans is, frankly, this passage here. It's not going to sound like it. You're going to say, why do you like this passage? But it's going to make things make sense. Let me read to you Romans 8, 18 through 25. I consider the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not by its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will ob obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole of creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, of the Spirit, grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. No hope that has been seen is not hope. For who hopes in what is seen? But we hope in what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. Uh, said before, patience is not one of my gifts. I, I struggle with patience, but um, this passage to me just hits on something that's so pivotal. Verse 20, verse 19, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not by its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay, will obtain the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Okay. I, when I was living elsewhere, you know, I grew up in had family in New Orleans. I had aunt and uncle that lived across Terrytown, Gretna. Um, so growing up, we went to New Orleans all the time. I, I love New Orleans. It's been a running joke for me and Holly that I'm going to get her to move to New Orleans one day, and she will never move to New Orleans. She, if you live in New Orleans, I apologize for watching this. She's not a fan of New Orleans. I, I love it. I just love New Orleans. We went down a few years back to a U2 concert, and I was we were walking from where we ate to the Superdome, and uh, I was like, isn't this great? Look at this energy. Feel the energy here. All the people. This is wonderful. And she said, Andy, there's a guy there in a hospital gown. I'm like, well, you know, maybe he just got out, of the, got out of the hospital. You know, who are we? So I love New Orleans. Um. I, I do. Grew up going to Jackson Square and all that. You know, I lived in different, different places and not everyone knew New Orleans. New Orleans, not everybody went to New Orleans all throughout their childhood like I did. So when Katrina hit, 
I, I heard a lot of people say, you know, Katrina was God's judgment against New Orleans for its wickedness. Now, I'm not going to sit here and argue about the wickedness of New Orleans. But when I heard that, I, I would say sometimes, I said, well, that's in, that's interesting concept. Here's my only problem with it. If God is going to smite New Orleans for his wickedness, how come the only part of New Orleans that wasn't flooded was the French Quarter? And, and the place that got the most damage was the poorest of New Orleans in the lower ninth ward. It seem, doesn't seem to align with Scripture that the way God's going to punish the wicked is to kill the poor people. That just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like something God would do. And to me, Katrina was not God's judgment against New Orleans. Katrina was an example of Romans 8. For creation was subjected to futility, not by its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Y'all, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world of hurricanes and tornadoes. We live in a world of sin and of violence. We live in a world where things are disordered. Things are not as God intended. When Adam and Eve fell in Genesis 3, if you read Genesis 3, you see that God pronounces curses on Adam and on Eve and on the serpent. But because of Adam's sin, we Adam and Eve's sin, we see that even cre creation was suffered the consequence of human sin. For he said, you know, thorns and you'll by bread you'll live, my sweat of your brow, and you'll grow thorns and thistles. And that the, the, the fall wasn't just for Adam and Eve, but the fall was cosmic in nature. The fall affected everything. So we live in a world that's disordered. Like, and we see this laid out in Isaiah. Remember in Isaiah, when God paints this picture of what eternity will be like, you know, uh, beat their swords into plowshares and all that. But he paints this picture that since the lion will lay down with the lamb, the child will stick his hand in the, in the snake hole and not be bitten. What happens in 2023 if a child sticks their hand in a snake hole? They're going to be bit. What happens if a lion lays down, lamb, let's say a lamb goes to snuggle up with a lion? Well, somebody's getting lamb chopped for supper. Like we live in a world that's disordered, but it's not God's will. It wasn't God's perfect will. But see, creation was subjected because of the fall. And one day, all of creation will be redeemed. What does it say in Revelation? Look, I behold a new heaven and a new earth coming down from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. So we see that God's salvation ultimately. God's restoration is not just for me and for you as humans, but God's going to redeem all of his creation. God's going to restore all of creation because it says here that creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, for we are the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly while we wait for our adoption, for our redemption, for it's in hope we were saved. So the reason why I said this passage is so pivotal because it tells us where all the trouble comes from. It's the effect of the fall. We live in a fallen and broken world. As Paul says in Romans 7, the very things I should not do are the things I find myself doing. I'm broken. I am sinful. As the old hymn goes, prone to wander, Lord, I 
spirit. John Wesley, Charles Wesley wrote in that wonderful hymn of the faith, Love Divine. Finish then thy new creation, pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Change from glory into glory. So we see that God longs to redeem and restore me and you from the fall, me and you from the effect and the reality of sin that plagues us both in our actions, the things we do, as well as in our nature, our desires. So it isn't just that we have sinful actions, but that we have a sinful nature that God longs to redeem. And then we see here that it isn't just you and me that are going to be redeemed, but it's going to be all of creation. For all of creation groans as if in the pain of childbirth. So that's why we have sickness and illness. That's why we have cancer. That's why we have abuse and addiction. That's why we have all these things. And that's why in eternity, there's going to be no more sickness, pain, and death because it will be perfectly restored. There will be no more of these things that plague us and that haunt us now, but it will be perfectly restored. That's God's desire for me and for you, and that's God's desire for all of creation. All of creation groans, waiting for its redemption. When Adam and Eve fell, they took all of creation with them, and that creation suffered the cosmic effect of sin, and that one day it will be restored. That's our hope. That's why we have hope. He says, for what we see, we have hope. What we do not see, we have hope. For who hopes what they've seen? One day, y'all, God's going to fix this. One day, when the Lord returns, Christ is going to restore all these things, and then creation will be restored, and you and I will be restored, as God made us. So, keep the hope. Keep the faith. God's going to fix all this one day. All of creation groans, and we groan too, looking for our hope. Thanks for joining us. Um, be, we'll pick back up Monday with verse 26. Hope you have a great weekend. If you're in the Madison, Mississippi area, Jackson area, we'd love to have you worship with us at St. Matthew's United Methodist Church this Sunday at 8.30 or 11 traditional or uh, 11 o'clock intersection. Thanks for being with us today. Have a great day.